0: Well, my name is Omar. I'm the pastor here. I'm so glad if it's your first time here. Welcome to Grace Church. Uh, you picked a great weekend to be here because we have a very special guest speaker. Uh, it's Pastor Ryan Coffey, and he's coming to us all the way from San Antonio, Texas. Uh, any Texans here? No? Oh, it's gonna be a rough crowd, brother. <laughs> rough crowd. But um, no, really, uh, this uh, this pastor, a friend of mine, uh, man, you're gonna love his heart. You know, you're gonna love the word he's bringing to you. Um, you. You might think, well, that name sounds a little familiar. Well, last year, probably around this time, we had his father, David Coffee, here uh, speak to us, and then he actually has a family tie here at Grace Church because his sister, Amber Burnett, and JC, his brother-in-law, they are. You know, they attend, they're part of our Grace family. And so, uh, so I just say, you're a part of our family, too. Uh, we're just glad you're here with us. Can you join me in welcoming Pastor Ryan Coffey?
1: Uh, n- you notice that uh, my sister's actually not here today. <laughs> She's like, oh, you're speaking? Yeah, we're going to Nashville. Um, <laughs> So she didn't even she was she wasn't even willing to stick around and hear me speak. I um, I was back there worshiping. You guys have, have an amazing worship team, and and I was back there worshiping. My technology is a good thing uh, unless you're trying to worship. And my my watch just kept buzzing and buzzing and buzzing. I was like, what is going on? Uh, our services in in San Antonio are over uh, by now. And so I thought, well, man, did something happen in one of our services, you know? And, and so I look down at my watch and, our, uh, and I see this picture of this massive snake. And uh, apparently our kids' director walked out of the building uh, after locking up everything and this huge snake went by in front of her and she was like, I'm pretty sure Pastor Ryan could hear me screaming from Seattle. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's our world uh, in Texas. Um, haven't always been, uh, uh, I'm not Texan. I'm, I'm a native Northwest person. I grew up in Roseburg, Oregon. Uh, so I apologize, but I'm a Ducks fan. And I know, I know, it's horrible. Um, it's, it's not been as horrible for me as it's been for you, but... Um, <laughs> um, I pastored in Spokane, Washington for seven years prior to going to San Antonio. I've been in San Antonio for 12 years. Uh, I'm a coach in uh, an organization called Exano for uh, Church Unique and God Dreams. And and so I've had the privilege to be able to work with your guys' team here, your leadership team and your pastors and I just have to tell you guys, you guys have an amazing team. You have pastors who love you deeply and care about you guys. I tell. Pastor Omar, honestly, you are a much better pastor than I am. Uh, you are, you are shepherding. You care about people, and I know that makes me look really bad, but, um, <laughs> but it's true. He he really genuinely does. Uh, I, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about something that's been on my heart, something that I've been challenged with recently in in my own life. Of just, I grew up as a pastor's kid, and uh, and found myself. Um, just kind of as a, as a Christ follower going through the motions in my life. Uh, you know, it's, it's really easy to um, be in the ministry, but not doing ministry. And I, I want the story I wanna talk to you guys about today, really, uh, the, the message is kind of titled after a book that I've been reading called Let Your Life Speak. It's by a guy named Parker Palmer. I know that you guys have been in this relationship series and, uh, and although my message today isn't uh, highly uh, relationship focused, what I would encourage you with today is, is it possible for us to begin to address why our lives do not speak to those who are close to us about who God is? And, and, and what I hope today is that we'll, we'll find our place uh, in this sense of hopefulness of what God wants to do in your life. Uh, there's a story about a uh, guy named Albert Einstein. Have you guys ever heard of this guy? Uh, he's riding on a train and uh, on his way to, to this destination, he the conductor stops by his seat and he asks him for his ticket. He's gonna punch his ticket. And Albert Einstein's looking all over his pockets and everything for his ticket. He can't find his ticket anywhere. And, and the conductor could tell, because he's got all of his papers there, and he looks like he's working on stuff, and he could tell he was pretty flustered, and he, and he said, Mr. Einstein, I, I know who you are. Uh, it's okay. Don't, don't worry about it. It's okay. You don't have to find your ticket. And, and, and so he moves on to the next seats, and he gets down the aisle, the conductor does, and he looks back, and Einstein's down on all fours. He's looking under the seat. He's still looking for his ticket. Can't find his ticket anywhere. And and the conductor comes back. He walks back to to Albert Einstein and he says, Mr. Einstein, it's really okay. We all know who you are. We are sure that you bought a ticket. It's no problem, really, stop it. And he looks up up at the conductor and he's really flustered and he says, I too know who I am. The problem is, is I don't know where I'm going. (laughs) And I wonder how many of us know who we are right we know we know that as Christ followers if, if you've stepped over that line of salvation and grace and forgiveness as Christ followers we know that we who we are in that we belong to God we are sons and daughters of God but I, but i wonder if sometimes we don't know where we're going with that in the in the grand scheme of what God has done in our lives has come to this place where if we believe the scriptures, that before we were formed in our mother's womb, He has a plan and a purpose, I wonder if we have ever stopped for a moment to discover what that plan and purpose is. I think that there's um, I think there's a lot of Christians who have struggled to dream about who God's called them to be. Right, that that in some ways we think of this idea of dreaming and we've stopped dreaming and we've moved into a place of fantasizing. We, We fantasize about what our life could be like if it was different. We fantasize about a different job or uh, we fantasize about a, some different life or relationship or whatever and we think that if, if if things could just change in those capacities, then my life would be better. And really we've become a society that doesn't dream anymore but mostly just fantasizes. See, I, I believe and, and I I think you probably inherently believe this as well, that that you have a plan, you have a purpose, that God has actually placed something into your life, a distinct calling that's unique to who you are. And maybe today we could bring some hope and life into that dream that God has placed you in. Here's the limitation, though, as we As we get together, and as uh, pastors, as a pastor here, as your pastors and leaders, the the reality is, is with the greatest tools available to us, it's impossible for any one person to come alongside you and help you discover what your calling is alone. You have to want to know what that is. You have to be willing to step out and dream a little bit of what God's called you to do. Bob Goff uh, says it this way. He says, God is betting that we'll have the guts to be who he made us to be rather than acting like someone he doesn't know. Yeah. Like to become who God has called you to be and to let your life speak in a, in a world about the goodness of who he is. Because we drift. We, we drift, we... Uh, We get busy with life, we get busy with our job, we get busy with our families, and, and eventually what happens is that dream that God has placed inside of us becomes more quiet and quieter and quieter, and all of a sudden we forget what it is that he's actually called us to do. It's called the life treadmill. It's the treadmill where you just are running and running and running and running, and it just looks you, look around, and you realize I haven't gotten anywhere. How many of you would say in your life uh, that you're busy? In, in my culture, in my community uh, in San Antonio, uh, the common phrase that happens is Hey, how, how are you doing? I'm busy. I don't know if it's the same here, you guys seem a little bit more relaxed and laid back and uh, not nearly as busy as us, San Antonians, but, but we're busy, we're busy with sports, all of our kids are in sports, we're busy with band, we're busy with jobs, we have dual working households, we're busy with events, we're busy with church, we're busy people. And we get so busy doing things that are good things that we forget to do the things that are the most important things. When I was a kid, uh, I had this ongoing experience where I knew when my parents attended a uh, financial planning or like, you know, how to budget your money, some some sort of church thing that they would do where it's like financial peace university, and I would know this as a kid because I would go into the pantry on a Saturday morning uh, to get my cereal for that day, and what I would discover is that my tricks that I used to eat has now turned into some cereal called pranks, (laughs) some knockoff brand, some imitation. Our, our life cereal is now some cereal called Live It Up. You know, or Fruit Loops go to Fruit Rings and Apple Jacks to Apple Orbits and Lucky Charms to some cereal called Fortunate Jewels, right? And the reality is, is the thought is, well, I, it's the same, right? I mean, it's just called something different. But I think we all would agree that, that when you take the initial bite of this imitation brand, it actually initially tastes the same. And, and you're like, huh, yeah, it's, it's the same, and it's cheaper. But, but then all of a sudden, there's, there's the aftertaste, right? There's just that little, there's just something that's just a little bit off of the real thing. The lie of the imitation is that for half the cost, you could get the real thing. And what happens in our life is we're tempted to live these generic lives. By the way, I do this with my own kids. I don't have anything wrong with imitation brand cereal (laughs) because I don't eat cereal anymore because I grew up on imitation cereal. (laughs) See, we, we live these lives that someone else tells us who we are. We, we live a life where someone pays us to be something. And we go through this treadmill of life being and doing what everybody else thinks we should be and do. And if we're not careful, we'll buy into the imitation, we'll miss out on the real thing. See, we've we've got to stop wishing, and we've got to start dreaming. Most people have to be disciplined in this. This isn't something that really comes naturally to us. I, I, I think that it's interesting in this world that we live in that everyone seems to have trouble sleeping at night, and yet I also believe that people have a hard time living wide awake. So... We're zombies by day, we're insomniacs by night, and it's in this world, this crazy, busy, messed up world where we have forgotten how to sleep, where we've forgotten how to dream. And when you stop dreaming, you start to replace it with fantasy or survival, and you fantasize for a while, and then you survive, and then you survive to fantasize. So I want us to take a look at a passage of scripture, Ezekiel chapter 37. It's a familiar passage for, uh, or, or a familiar story for m- many of us that have been around the church for very long, and it's, it's the story of the Valley of the Dry Bones. And to give you a little bit of context in this, Israel is, uh, the Israelites uh, have been in captivity. Um, they some of them are being released into Jerusalem, but some of them are still in exile. And there's this whole group of people that are in exile. And while in exile, they're in some of these moments of deep valleys for them, deep, dark depression. They're, they're crying out to God, wondering what's going on. And so it's in these, in these moments of deep valleys for the Israelites that lead up to this point. And in Judges, it reminds us that if God is able to take Egypt and turn it into the promised land, that as people we are just as susceptible to take the promised land and turn it into Egypt, that we're, we're able to just put ourselves back into that captivity. And the darkest moment in their life is, is during this thing called exile, and they're, they're doing their own thing, they're buying into the imitation, into the generic gods. They're buying into a a life that was never intended for them to live. And it's at this moment that God removes his presence from the temple. Uh, There's a king named Nebuchadnezzar. He's a little bit of a crazy guy. Uh, He goes into the Holy of Holies and he completely desecrates it. I mean, the, the worst possible things that you could think of of someone coming into your sacred space, into this place, and completely desecrating it, it is that and maybe a 100 times worse. And it's in this moment where the Israelites have bought into this false god, into this false way of living their life where Nebuchadnezzar had completely demolished their moral fiber that God gives Ezekiel a dream of a potential new future. It gives him some hope. It starts in verse one, it says, the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. verse 7 says so i prophesied as i was commanded and as i was prophesying there was a noise a rattling sound <laughs> which is not what my kids director wanted to hear today <laughs> a rattling sound and the bo- and the bones came together bone to bone i looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them but there was no breath in them and he said to me prophesy to the Uh, to the breath prophesy son of man and say to it this is what the sovereign lord says come breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live so i prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them they came to life and stood up on their feet a vast army then he said to me son of man these bones are the people of israel they say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone we are cut off Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, I'm going to open up your eyes and I'm gonna bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel and then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord." So the picture here is this, is Israel is in the middle of the darkest time of their, uh, of, their, of their country, of their culture, and God gives Ezekiel this vision for them. And it's in this graveyard that it's not just a, any graveyard, it's not just a bunch of nameless bones. Ezekiel's looking at the bones of his family, of his friends, People he grew up with, his ancestors, people that he knew, and and he's looking at these bones and God is asking him this question, can these bones live? It's really a battle for Ezekiel's eyes, right? Because he's looking at the reality, and that's what we often do is we look at the reality of the circumstances and we assess the future based upon our current circumstances, And he looks at the reality of this situation when God says, can these bones live? And he's like, God, they're dead. That's the reality, these are dead, dry bones. And they're not just partially dead, they're all the way dead, right? I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Princess Bride, if they were at least partially dead, there was hope, but there's no hope, they're all the way dead. They're not just bones, they're dry bones. You're welcome for that reference to Princess Bride. And God comes to Ezekiel and he says, I want you to speak. And the, and the word speak to the wind, to the wind is the ruah, like the, the spirit. That there's this regenesis that takes place, a breath in the bones and they all of a sudden be, begin to rattle and they, they become this vast army. If we could hear this the way that these people are hearing this. These people who have been in exile, these people who have not been living out who God has called them to be. That God actually recreates out of the brokenness and once again he breathes into them the breath of life. Oftentimes we stop dreaming because of our brokenness. We stop believing that we could actually become who God intended us to become because of decisions we've made, because of things that have been done to us, that we deal with sin and we deal with wounds and we deal with lies and we believe that the ability to be who God's called us to be is now no longer a part of what could happen in our future. How do you live in a world that's broken? How do you let your life speak to your family, to your friends, to people who are in your community that are broken, that are hurting, to a world that doesn't seem very close to God. See, it's a battle of Ezekiel's eyes because oftentimes we come here on Sunday mornings and we leave and we go into the world and all we see is a valley of dry bones. What if we looked at the world through the lens of hope? where it doesn't see what is, but it sees what it could be. See, nothing is beyond the grace and the mercy of God. Everything is recoverable. Yeah. Yeah. When, when we dream with with God, we can see that that beauty can be restored out of broken, and, and we begin to believe what is doesn't have to be what will be, yeah. Yeah. That, that it could actually There's hope for something better than what it is today. Dreaming requires us to look at reality, but it also trains us to look beyond our current reality. The the best example I can give to you of this is so, so many times it is difficult for us because of our reality, because of our circumstance, to see anything beyond what is. And what God does when he breathes into us a dream of what could be, it, it doesn't take away our reality, but it gives us hope to be able to see beyond our reality. It begins to allow us to, to look forward to what he wants to do in the midst of our reality. See, part of why it's so important for this church To begin dreaming again is because if we're not careful, all we will see is brokenness and the mess, and we'll refuse to step out with God to what he wants to do. We'll wish things were different, but in the end, they'll remain the same. So you've got this battle for Ezekiel's eyes where the current reality he has to overcome, but we also see this battle for Ezekiel's hands. Now, whether you believe it or not, there's a role in God's kingdom for you. And I don't care who you are. I know the promise of God. I know what what it means when he says, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I, I have a plan and a purpose for you. And that plan and the purpose still exist. It just may have been suppressed because of circumstances in your life. But, but the reality is, is you have a role in the kingdom of God that is just your size. Because you, I, I know how this works in my church. We, uh, I have people, and all the time I'm telling people that you are the ministers of God's word. And they're like, no we pay you to be the minister of God's word. And I'm like, no, you pay me to equip you to be the ministers of God's word. That's how this works. It's not the professionals, it's not those who are paid, it's not the really spiritual ones, it's us. We are it as Christ followers. See, we have an opportunity to to dream again, and dreaming refuses to let us stay unengaged. It requires us to get involved. It requires us to get into the mess and to have eyes to see that what looks dead could actually come to life. There's a story in Mark chapter one where there's a man who has a disease called leprosy. Uh, there's still some leper colonies in, uh, in the world today, but uh, leprosy by by and large, is not a disease that has become uh, the, the challenge or is not the challenge that it once was. In antiquity, what would happen is if you were unfortunate enough to get leprosy, uh, you were marked unclean. And because you were marked unclean, you weren't allowed to even be near. You had a, a radius in which you had to stay away from people who were clean. And, and if you crossed over that, if you, if you got into people's space, it actually was a punishable thing. And so here you have this man who has leprosy, and he throws himself at Jesus. This unclean person was almost touching a clean person, And the problem was is that when something unclean touches something clean, then that something clean becomes unclean. And this man throws himself down. And the Greek word that's used there is that Jesus sighs. He he goes, he sighs. He sighs because he knows this is not God's intended purpose for this man. He sighs because he has compassion for somebody who is unclean. And filled with compassion, it says in verse 40, in Mark chapter one, it says that Jesus touched the man. And when Jesus touched the man, it says that everyone else around them, they didn't sigh in compassion, they gasped. (sighs) Same breath, different heart, sigh, gasp, because everyone around them knew when clean things, that clean things don't touch unclean things, because if something clean touches something unclean, that clean thing becomes unclean. And Jesus breaks the rules. He, he, he redefines the normal, and, and this time, though, when the clean thing touches the unclean thing, the unclean thing becomes clean. Yeah. Come on. Say that five times fast. I, I feel like you guys are not nearly as impressed as you should be with how many unclean and clean words I just threw in there. <laughs> there should have been a gasp, like, oh, he's amazing. See, what happens is, is when, we, when we have our hands and, and, and when we start partnering with God, it's going to take us into places that we would consider to be unclean. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And instead of keeping our distance from unclean things in fear of becoming unclean, what would it look like if clean things began to touch unclean things and unclean things became clean? Yeah. Again, very impressive words there, and you, it just feels so don't worry about it, my church is the same way they uh, whatever <laughs> See, we see what God sees, but we don't just see it from a distance. we do what god does we We don't just choose. To work for God, we choose to work with God. We live with the expectation that God will do what only he can do. And listen, do what he actually already wants to do. We forget that God actually wants to bring clean to the unclean. A.W. Tozer uh, says it like this, and this is probably not for your church, but but was for our church when I shared it with them. It said, if God took the Holy Spirit out of the world, most Christians would keep doing what they're doing and not know the difference. Again, that was not directed at you guys. That was, that was for my church. They're, they're horrible people. <laughs> they're not, they're, they're never gonna watch this. Uh, I hope, they, we're not gonna watch this, right, yeah. Isn't that such an amazing statement that if we lived our life because we're so busy and we come to church and we participate and, and, and we and we do the things that we think we're supposed to do, but the question is, is do we ever really partner with the Holy Spirit to see the unclean become clean? I want to be at a place where where we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit that. That it's only through the work of the Holy Spirit working through us that we begin to see bones start rattling, where we begin to see the dead come to life, where we see the clean become or the unclean become clean. The graveyards begin to start rumbling. There's a, a battle for Ezekiel's eyes, and then there's this battle for Ezekiel's hands, but then the the final battle is for his heart. The battle of his heart is to feel what God feels. So you've got a a God dream in your life, and you know it's a God dream in your life when someone else wins. Ezekiel could have told the people, I told you so. Right, I mean, if I'm Ezekiel, and I've been preaching at you, and preaching at you, and preaching at you, And then all of a sudden, the things I've been warning you about, the things I've been preaching about become reality. I'm starting the I told you so ministries.com. Like that becomes my new TV ministry. Like that's that's in my humanity. It's like I have been warning you and warning you and I've been telling you about this. And instead he doesn't. He, He doesn't warn them. In Luke chapter 15, there's, there's a son who, who essentially goes to his dad and he says, I know you're not dead yet, but I want your inheritance or, or my inheritance from you, which is essentially saying you're dead to me. So could I get that? I know you're not dead yet, but you might as well be. I'm going to take it and I'm going to go live my life. And so this son ends up in this faraway country, and he wakes up in a pig pen, and the aftertaste is pretty bad. He comes home. He decides to come home to his dad because he feels like his dad's servants are even treated better than what he's being treated and eating better than what he's eating in the, with the pigs, and... And so he's walking home and this imagery that Jesus tells in this story is he's walking home and he's down the road and there's a father who's waiting for his son to return. And the father doesn't sit on the porch going, I knew it. I knew you'd be back, I told you so. No, he doesn't, he gets up off the porch and I use porch because I live in Texas, but You know, he's probably in a rocking chair, you know, smoking a pipe, I don't know. But he's sitting on the porch and he sees his son. And what does he do? He runs towards his son. He embraces his son. He doesn't whisper in his ear at that moment and say, it's about time. He doesn't say, finally. He doesn't say, what have you been doing with your inheritance? He just says, welcome home. If God has given up the right to say, I told you so, then we have given up the right to tell you, I told you so. See, when we get into the mess, when we get in with those who we feel are unclean, if we're being honest, if we're being honest, there's times where we think they're probably deserving of it. If I'm being honest, there's moments of flesh and weakness and religiousness where I found myself in the midst of the unclean thinking, they probably did this to themselves, forgetting that my God doesn't ever tell me, I told you so, and therefore has taken away the ability for us to say, I told you so. Because we live with the eyes of hope, we we live with the hands of faith and the heart of love, we refuse to live our lives caught up in an imitation. See, we can't wish our way out of this mess. We can't fantasize wishing things were different, but we can dream it. We can wait with the expectation for the Spirit of God to move in us and through us as we do. We can join God in this restoration of all things to connect people to the real love of Christ and the real life that he's called us to live. To do that, we've we've got to dream. And my guess is that there are some of you who have stopped dreaming of what God wants to do through you if if you're like my church it's a, it's a lot of you and what happens oftentimes is you get to a place in your life where it's been so long that you've ever been a part of his kingdom work that you feel like it's too late my dad just recently retired he was a pastor my whole life and then a district supervisor in our denomination and he retired at the beginning of uh, 2018 and And so I asked my dad, you know, he's in our church, uh, currently serving in our nursery, uh, holding babies, which is what he loves to do. And, but I've asked him, I said, hey, why don't you speak on a Sunday morning? He's like, no, I'm retired. I'm like, "Uh, okay. And so then I ask him again, why don't you speak? Why don't you you come and speak to our church and minister to us? And no, I'm retired. And I'm like, at what point do you get to re- retire from God's kingdom? Like, at what point do you stop being who God's called you to be? We, we live a lot of our life for the job, for the money, being what everyone else tells us to be. To this point at which we get to retire and relax. Relax. And continue to be what the world tells us we should be, retired. I don't think that that's how God's kingdom works. I told first service, I said, you may be on the the bus to Leavenworth, but what God wants to do through you is not over. You have a place, you have a plan, you have a purpose in your life for what God wants to do through you. You may be going to youth summer camp. It's, it's not too early for God to begin to birth in you and to dream in you the things that he's called you to do. There is no other option here. If we're going to be Christ followers, we have to dream the God-sized dream that he's put in us, the plan and the purpose that he started from the beginning. And listen, if you're sitting there thinking, I don't think I have, I don't think God has a plan or a purpose for my life. Because I don't even know what that would be. I would just say, God doesn't screw up. He doesn't forget. It's not like he's forming you in your mother's womb and then all of a sudden he's like, there was something else I was gonna do. What was that thing? Oh yeah, I was gonna put a plan and purpose in you. No, every one of you has a plan and a purpose, and it's different. It's not better, it's not worse, it's different. And if we're not functioning in the dream that God's put into our life, we are missing out in letting our life speak to a world who desperately needs to know the goodness of God. Let's pray. God, my prayer for us, and this is really for me, I don't ever speak anything that you're not doing in my own life. God, it's so easy for us to be busy, even with good things, and miss out on the important things, the the most important thing, and that's living in the purpose and the plan that you've created and put in us. God, my prayer for Grace Church is that every person would begin to dream again. To dream of what it is that you've instilled in them in doing your kingdom work in this world. Now, so much of our, our time as pastors and as churchgoers is to just be equipped for the 5% of our life that we're here in the church. But Lord, Would you empower and equip and instill in them the dream that you have for the 90% of their life, the 95% of their life that they live in this world? Bring them into the mess. Bring them to the unclean. And God, through this church, could the unclean become clean? Not because of us, but because of who you are through us. God, we surrender to you, we love you. I pray blessings over this church. I just find it such a privilege to even be able to share this morning. God, would you move and work through this church? God, do you have a plan and a purpose? And no matter who's leading, what the vision is, the mission, all those things, the underlying thread is that we are going to advance the kingdom of God in this community. God, give us that vision. God, we love you. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen.